Well, welcome to another edition of CBS New Church Starts Conversation. Um, we have with us today Dr. Chris Gamble, who is the director for Center for Congregational Health. Chris is also uh, on the board of our CBF Fellows Program, which works with um, ministers in their first call uh, coming out of seminary. Uh, Chris has also done brilliant work around Young Leaders Program. He works with many, many CBF congregations and beyond that with the center, um, but has a pretty diverse background of ministry, uh, serving uh, in student ministry for years, serving overseas um, in the mission field, and then, of course, many, many years working with congregations, both in positive and in challenging times (laughs) of conflict. Um, So trying to find 20 to 25 minutes to fit in all that Chris knows is uh, setting him up and and me up for failure. But Chris, we're, we're glad you're with us today. Thanks, and I'm delighted to be here. Well, you uh, do a lot of work with uh, pastors and with uh, young uh, ministerial um, individuals who are developing themselves as leaders. And I've experienced this under your leadership with the Young Leaders Program for the Center for Congregational Health and also with the CBF Fellows Program. You focus a good bit of your time on helping them better understand their stance, better understanding their self, their leadership style, and a tremendous capacity uh, around understanding your stance is around this idea of emotional intelligence. So talk to us a little bit about what is emotional intelligence? Um, who has it? <laughs> what does it require of you? I got curious many years ago as, as why certain people succeeded in ministry or uh, at least seemed to thrive in it and why others who were sometimes smarter or better educated uh, or more sophisticated in their thinking, et cetera, uh, they failed or they just couldn't get unstuck and never could make it. So I got curious as to what that might be. So a few years ago, uh, when I decided to, I need to know just a little bit more, I went back to work on a PhD and I ran across this topic of emotional intelligence and, and it clicked for me in that this was a way to understand um, success and failure and in different categories, and I'd understood it before, and kind of gave me some clues. So that's uh, that's a little bit of the background. But um, you know, there's a lot going on in the field of emotional intelligence. A lot being written and talked about. Um, I tend to be um, kind of a essentialist when it comes to this, and kind of go back to the roots. So uh, the idea of emotional intelligence began in about 1990 with two psychologists named Salovey or Salovey. I'm not sure which one it is, and Meyer. Um, and they defined it as the ability to monitor your own and others' feelings and emotions, to discriminate among them, and to use information to guide your thinking and action. So that emotional intelligence, it's actually integrating feelings and thinking in a way that they both inform and help each other. Well, there's some fascinating studies that have been done around uh, EQ and and many of them argued that, you know, for, for leadership, that, you know, for years we've been thinking that somebody needs to have a, a high IQ, so um, a high uh, technical knowledge, if you will, right. of the world and their expertise. But a lot of these studies uh, that you introduced me to, uh, you know, focuses on that maybe it's a balance of, of both and maybe you know, a little bit more uh, of emotional intelligence. So wh- what is the difference between emotional intelligence and maybe technical knowledge or IQ? Sure. Well, uh the interesting thing is that uh, it's now been validated that emotional intelligence is another kind of intelligence that's just as uh, as hard, hardwired into us as what we think of as typical intelligence or rational intelligence. So 
it's not two different things. It's almost two sides of, of, of one coin is one way to think about it. So everybody has got some emotional intelligence. Um, it is, a, it is a, an innate capacity. Everybody has some, but we vary widely in what we are given naturally. So some of us are naturally uh, better at it. We are able to understand and use emotions better than others. In general, women tend to score better and have and exhibit higher emotional intelligence than men. We're not sure why, uh, but in fact, that's uh, that actually the case. But um, the research that you mentioned is actually very intriguing, and there, there's lots of different studies out there that basically all come to the same conclusion that rational intelligence, the kind that we typically measure through intelligence tests or something like the SAT, um, is really a kind of uh, threshold competency. In other words, you have to have a certain amount to be able to function well. So, you know, obviously you need to be able to read, to process information, and do some basic things. But beyond that, having a higher IQ does not correlate with higher productivity, success in life, better relationships, higher paying job, almost nothing. So once you get past that median of kind of threshold competency, IQ ceases to be a factor. What is a factor and what does have a very high correlation with many areas of success is actually your emotional intelligence. Um, there's you know, a lot of interesting studies, but one of them was, was about uh, called the Boys of Somerville, where they looked at, I think it was about 40 boys um, in this uh, little private school in the Northeast, and they looked at them over a lifetime. Uh, Two-thirds of the boys actually came from um, families that were on some sort of public assistance, and a huge percentage of them had IQs that were measured below 90, which is, which is really extremely low, like a third of them. So after uh, this 40-year longitudinal study of these, uh, as actually it's 450 boys, uh, what they found was that their IQ had little or no bearing on their success in life. So that that started that third of them that started below 90, uh, it, that wasn't a handicap for them. And the most successful ones were those who had the ability to handle frustration, to control and manage their emotions, and to get along with other people. And this was validated in lots of other kind of studies, too, with PhDs from Stanford, uh, uh, just all sorts of groups of people that emotional intelligence is a much better predictor of success than any other standards that we have right now in terms of measuring personality. Hmm. It's fascinating. Yeah, I think one of my uh, favorite studies that's done around emotional intelligence, I think it was also done at Stanford, the marshmallow test. Uh, oh, yeah. the, you know, put the kids in the room, you know, said, hey, you know, if you can not eat this marshmallow after two minutes, we'll give you, you know, two marshmallows and the number of kids that, you know, gave in. But the kids that didn't eat the marshmallow, you know, revisiting the study years later found that those kids were actually a whole lot more successful uh, in the work field in life than those who, who did uh, take the marshmallows. Exactly right. Not only that, Andy, but after 10 years, those, those four-year-olds when they were 14, they, they gave them the SAT. And the ones who were able to manage their emotions and resist the temptation scored an average of 210 points higher on the SAT. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, this is, for me, this is an aspect of, of leadership that I really wasn't introduced to until probably well after my time in, in seminary. And having conversations with colleagues, uh, you know, who went to other seminaries um, 
they also lacked this type of uh, training and understanding in their experience. So why is it, do you think that, that we as ministers and those who train ministers focus so much on the, maybe the technical knowledge of ministry, but don't maybe focus on the emotional knowledge of ministry? Well, you know, that's a, that's an excellent question. I, <laughs> that, that frustrates me as well. And I don't know that I have a really good answer for it, except that maybe part of the reason that we are so um, kind of uh, embedded in the whole rational thought process is has to do with just the whole bent of kind of Western civilization. So we, you know, we've never known quite what to do with emotions and in general have downplayed them or viewed emotions as a detriment to clear thinking or good decision making. So we've, if, at best, we've kind of tolerated emotions in a, as a culture, but not really known what to do with them. And certainly haven't tried to, you know, to utilize them in any particular way. So I guess in that sense, just as from a larger kind of cultural sense, it shouldn't be a great surprise that seminaries and divinity schools and others don't give them much credence. But there's also um, uh, just this. I think it's easier. <laughs> Honestly, to, to to show you how to lead a meeting or to, to parse a Greek verb or construct a sermon, that is to tell you how to ex, how to exercise empathy toward what another person might be feeling, or how to recognize signs of distress or sadness, or how to read the emotions. Those are very complex, difficult things that there's not clear handles on how you teach it. Even. So uh, I think it's a combination of things, but but it's a huge gap, and I would just be quick to point out that, and I've worked with literally hundreds of clergy over the last 25 or 30 years and, and dozens and dozens of congregations, and I've, I have rarely, if ever, seen uh, a minister who failed because of a lack of a technical skill. Hmm. But almost always they fail because of something related to their emotional intelligence or more specifically their lack. So you would think that by now we would have figured this out, but apparently it's still a new frontier um, in terms of what you do with that knowledge. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking about my own experience. Um, my time with you began uh, almost almost directly after my seminary experience. Uh, we did young leaders program over right. a period of, of a year and then two years together in the fellows. And as I think back at, at some of the, the takeaways from my early full-time years of ministry, you know, of course, I was prepared by seminary for some of the things that you said, but I think the things that have helped me be successful as a leader, and of course, we all define success in different ways, yeah. comes back to that better understanding of myself, um, which is a huge aspect of emotional intelligence, right? Is is better yeah. understanding, you know, who you are, uh, what pushes your buttons, uh, what draws you in, uh, in different ways of conflict. What are some other key markers around emotional intelligence. So yes, an understanding of self, but what are some of the other key uh, facets of it? Right. I think uh, one of the great kind of basic fundamental starting points for all ministers ought to be a deeper understanding of their own personality. Because personality actually has a huge bearing on how we interact with other people in the world around us. So the simplest one, simplest one to talk about is introversion and extroversion. So if, you know, I, my, my, my perception and experience is that in general, ministry is perceived by most people to be an extroverted task. In other words, when a minister walks into the room, 
the expectation is the minister is going to get up, go around, and greet people and shake hands. They're not going to go sit in a corner quietly and wait and see if someone comes around. That would be considered a failure. Um, so there, if you are an introvert and you are aware that you have a natural tendency to enter a room and go into the corner and sit quietly and spoke, not speak until spoken to, you may need you need to recognize that, first of all, and decide whether that's the right behavior, whether that's the emotionally intelligent behavior to exercise in this particular context. Now, it can also be true the flip side. You know, extroverts tend to think everything is an opportunity to talk and think out loud. And so they need to be aware of that tendency and to be, uh, be able to figure out when to shut up and when to sit quietly and when to not say anything. And you can't do either of those if you don't know what your own natural tendency is. So you need to understand as much as you can about how you react in situations, what gives you energy, what drains you energy, so that you can cope with that and work with it. You can't necessarily change it, but you can compensate and you can work with the gifts that God has given you in a way that you can utilize those and leverage those in the most powerful way and not let them be a liability. So I would start with personality and there's other aspects certainly of personality, but that's that's the beginning place because that that affects how you going how you interact with other people in the world. Obviously, there is internal conflict that we have, um, but for the most part, conflict is with someone else or a group of people. Uh, another aspect of emotional intelligence you've talked about is, uh, is is understanding the emotions of other people. So, what are some key tools that you can give folks to help help them better understand the uh, the emotions another person is expressing? Sure. Um, well, the most basic skill, of course, is, is reading people, um, you know, and some people are better at this than others. Actually, most people imagine they are better at reading people than they actually are. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I know that I'm at best kind of in the middle. So uh, but I've also learned that, that, for example, my wife is an excellent reader. So one of the ways I've learned to compensate is I will utilize her skills to leverage my deficit. So, I, so when I, I, I'll ask her, what did you think was going on? What was happening to that group emotionally a while ago? And I can check out my perceptions against hers and really learn from that and use it. So uh, I think most of us would be better off if we actually tried to develop and practice our capacity for reading others. And so, you know, it could be something as simple as taking somebody who's, who you know to be a better reader than you and go to the mall together and sit on the bench and, and watch people passing, watch conversations, read faces, and try to figure out um, what emotion uh, they're expressing. And you can learn a lot. I mean, we're doing this already unconsciously all the time, but to kind of bring it to the level of consciousness and think about it and try to look at faces and figure out what body language means can be a powerful exercise. Um, I think you also have to learn how to really try to develop the, the capacity for empathy. So. Uh, in the simplest form, it's putting yourself in the other person's place. You know, how do you think they might feel? And um, we, again, we have varying natural capacities for this, but you can develop it. You can actually practice the skill of kind of putting yourself over there and imagining what that might be like. So anything you can do that kind of helps you better understand how others might be experiencing a situation can be helpful. Um, also, I found that having children was very helpful because it helped me. It helped me learn watching them how emotional streams develop. So, 
you know, uh, we get a little bit of um, anxiousness and then we move to fear and then we are outright fright and then we're clean to daddy. Or uh, we wake up and we're slightly irritable and then we didn't get what we wanted for breakfast and that makes us a little bit angry. And then pretty soon we have a full-blown kind of tantrum. So as a parent, you can actually watch these sequences develop and you, what, I, what I figured out was it was actually great learning for me to watch how emotions develop. And they're fairly predictable usually in how they accelerate or decelerate in intensity. And again, some people are good at that and some people really struggle to understand how emotions work. But if you know you have a deficit, you can, you can practice and you can uh, help others who are, who are, help others teach you who are better at it than you are. The longer and longer um, I work, um, the less and less I'm surprised at the number of adults that act like children, including myself. So I think, yeah, having children is a perfect way for that. You've yeah. also uh, spoken uh, about um, that to better understand um, the emotions of other people, we need to expand our repertoire of emotions. What does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. One of them is that um, by nature, each of us, is more open to certain kinds of emotions and closed to other kinds. And, you know, I don't think anyone can explain altogether why that is, but, you know, it certainly has a lot to do with context and environment as you're growing up and so forth. But for me, um, I'm actually uh, slightly more adept and more comfortable with when people are unhappy and with those kind of more negative emotions than I am the really positive ones. I don't know quite what to do with those. I don't think my family was very happy maybe growing up or something. I don't know. But um, so I have to really um, practice being open to emotions that are uncomfortable for me to experience. So um, it's actually, again, back to my children. I have a daughter who's very extroverted, very positive, very optimistic, and very happy. You know, And so Having to live with that for the first 18 years, and it, you know, it's been actually quite helpful for me, because it, you know, that's not the way I naturally interact with the world. I don't naturally carry that kind of uh, attitude, and so uh, I've intentionally made myself open that you know, you know, try to experience that and live into it, and, and so forth. And you could do the same thing. A lot of people are, I think, probably more people are averse to experiencing negative emotions. So some people really get uncomfortable if someone starts crying or someone to you know, get other signs of sadness, but we have to be open to those if we're ever going to learn and develop the capacity to understand them and use them and experience them ourselves. So that, that's a part of it, is, is just becoming comfortable to do that. The other thing is we need to expand our vocabulary. So, uh, you know, one of my pet peeves is I ask someone, how are you doing? I'm fine. Well, there is no such thing as fine. You know, you should always be able to stay in emotional experience and, and in three words, I feel something. I feel good. I feel happy. I feel exhilarated. I feel joyful. I feel content today. I feel static. Uh, we we tend to exercise a very limited vocabulary around emotions, and that actually inhibits our capacity to express them and limits our ability to really think through the nuances of what we're feeling. And I think all that's important because it builds our capacity to kind of understand the nuances of what other people might be experiencing. So vocabulary is actually a helpful tool to expand our being able to even talk about how we're feeling and how we're perceiving others. Are feeling. Yeah, that exercise of 
observing other people, uh, though I you know would recommend you definitely want to do that where you don't look like a creep, you know, sitting <laughs> watching people at the mall. We had a, we always uh, reach out to um, our church start uh, family as well as those within CBF to submit questions uh, for our podcast guests. And a question, two questions that were submitted. Um, okay. Want to get your input on uh, the question? First question, and it's a two-part question. What are some of the signs of a leader who lacks emotional intelligence? And the second question is, how does one strengthen this area? Well, the first one is the harder part. Um, you know. If, if you're really um, a poor reader and, and don't do a good job of understanding the emotional context around you, you're usually blindsided by the feedback. So I, I would say that that's probably one of the best, although more painful signs, is that you go to a meeting and you think everything is going swimmingly and all of a sudden it blows up. It's like, what? You know, where did this come from? I, you were unhappy? I didn't know you were unhappy. You know, uh, being blindsided, being caught off guard, if, if that's a pattern for you in terms of what others are experiencing emotionally, then there's probably a deficit there that either you're not willing to go where those emotions are until you cut, your, cut yourself off from experiencing and perceiving them, or you're just a really poor reader that you just don't get the sign. Uh, and, and that's sometimes the case. Um, I guess um, developing them is... <laughs> is even more uh, developing the capacity to do that is, is even is even harder because uh, it requires getting a bit uncomfortable so there's actually um, you know games you can play um, uh, we do one some in some of my emotional intelligence training that's kind of a modified version of charades and so instead of a movie or whatever I'll give people um, an emotion and have them figure out how to act it out and let the others try to guess what it is without using any words. And it's really interesting to see how easily some people do it and, and how painfully difficult it is for others. But in all those cases, you think about, you know, how would you express, uh, an easy one is actually anger, but how would you express contentment without any words? What would you do with your body? What would, you, what would your face look like? What would, what would the... the tension in your face look like you're would you smile would you not smile what, what shape of your eyes would be all those kind of things are, are great exercises so you can actually practice you know this is uh the kind of thing that actors do actually is is practice you know visualizing what it would look like to put your body into certain emotional states and and then that helps you believe it or not actually to read others because you begin to see what others uh, are mimicking those that are familiar to you um you know, I don't know that you can read a book on it, unfortunately. Um, there's supposedly some training tools out there. I haven't tried them, so I won't vouch for them that uh, help you to develop that. But I think awareness and practice just in the daily course of life and getting helpful feedback along the way is probably the best overall strategy. Well, if people are really looking for a good resource to better understand the look of annoyance, um, my wife could probably send a picture of herself looking at me on a daily sure basis and, you know, that really, really understand that emotion. Um, this is, this is great stuff. Um, you know, in, in a very positive way, uh, it's like drinking from a water hose, listening to you, uh, talk about this or a fire hose. Um, maybe what are some, some few takeaways you would give to, to pastors and leaders around developing a, a higher capacity of emotional intelligence? Well, it, it's actually, I can, in many ways, boil it down to one thing, and that is to always remember that effective ministry 
is always about relationships. It's easy to forget that in the course of the ongoing demands of ministry. It's easy to think, oh, it's really about preaching, or it's about uh, getting getting the uh, exegesis just right before I do this Bible study, or being sure that this committee is on track and on budget. I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but what I am saying is that in the long run, they're not the most important. People will not remember very long what you preached about on a given day, but they'll long remember what their relationship with you was like uh, as their pastor. And so you have to be always aware that every interaction, even the small ones, make a difference. I worked with a, a pastor once, and the biggest, I actually been more than one of these now that I think about it, and the biggest one of the biggest criticisms was whenever I passed the pastor in the hallway, he never greets me. And uh, so I actually asked some of them, you know, I, I've given this feedback, and I say, you know, why do you think that might be? And their answer was very innocent. It's like, oh, you know, they're probably talking about last week, and I was really worried about the sermon, and I was, I was walking down, and I was going through all this stuff in my head, and I kind of didn't even notice who was around. Well, that's perfectly logical from, from their point of view, but from the prisoner's point of view, it looked like somebody who's just there to do a job and didn't care. So you, you, you can't skip over just the little interactions like that in life that make a huge difference for people. You know, your, your smile, you're taking the time to do a small thing that shows that you care about them and there's an emotional connection between you. It's, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And it will pay big dividends uh, in congregational life overall, especially when you get to those difficult times when you need to think rationally and really struggle with an issue. You have some foundation you can work on together because you have that emotional tie. But if you don't have that, you're, in, you're really in trouble. So I would say learn to focus on relationships and to be sensitive to those everyday moments when you get to either build something up or tear something down. And always try to be a person who's building and investing in those relationships. Uh, Chris, this has been excellent. Um, I wish we had more time to, to give you. Um, so besides getting in contact with you and the great work that the Center for Congregational Health um, does, what are some other resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Sure. Well, um, to get kind of back to basics and understanding more about what is emotional intelligence in its simplest form as, as really validated through research, I recommend a site like eiskills.com. It's eiskills, just like it sounds, .com. Um, they have a, a wealth of really helpful information that you know, even have some uh, free research articles available that are you know, fairly readable. You don't have to be a psychologist to understand them. Um, as, a, as a beginning point for a book, you know, Goldman's book called Emotional Intelligence was a little bit old now, but it's actually still uh, quite helpful. He he builds a little bit on the original research and takes it a little beyond that, but it's still a good kind of overall introduction to it. You can you can just Google emotional intelligence. Uh, you'll find a wealth of stuff. I would just say treat that with a bit of a um, skepticism at times. There's also a book that uh, that I found that might be helpful. It's actually written by a couple of the people who wrote the emotional intelligence uh, inventory that I use for testing people. It's called the Emotionally Intelligent Manager. 
I know you're not a manager as a minister, but you know, bear with me here. It's kind of extrapolate, right? So, <laughs> but the emotionally intelligent manager and the authors are Caruso, that's C-A-R-U-S-O, and Salovey, S-A-L-O-V-E-Y. Um, it's a good book. It has a lot of practical stuff. Um, you may not want to read it all, but it, I think it's it's based off of the of this real basic um, um, validated model of emotional intelligence and gives some good information. That would be helpful for most people. If they really wanted to go deeper with it, then the other two things I would recommend is uh, is, the, is really good personality testing. Um, I'm, as you know, Andy, a big fan of the five-factor model of personality, which is, at least in psychological, psychometric terms, is the best depiction understanding of human personality that we have. Uh, and then there is at least one, there are a couple of tests, but one good one I use a lot to measure emotional intelligence is called the mesquite. That's the M-S-C-E-I-T, the mesquite. I'm not mosquito, just mesquite. Um, and it's a validated measure of actual emotional intelligence. That's what I used in my research a few years ago. And uh, it, it's a, a good tool for understanding you know, what some of your own strengths and deficits might be. And if anybody's interested in any of those kinds of testing, I'm happy to help them with that as well. Well, Chris, your time is absolutely valuable. So thank you so much for taking time out to uh, talk with us about emotional intelligence today. My pleasure to do so. I'm, I'm honored to be asked. Thanks for joining this Church Starts Conversation. For more information about church starting and other initiatives by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, visit cbf.net.